Good morning. Is this working? Yes. My name is John Herbst. I'm the director of the Dinu Patrizio Eurasia Center. I welcome you all here at the Atlantic Council this morning. We have a wonderful program on the future of the Ukrainian economy. I have a couple of announcements before we get to the heart of the session. First, unfortunately, our keynote speaker, Ivaris Abramovicius, was stuck on the other side of the ocean. So he will be joining us by Skype, not in person, at the end of the program. Uh, I'd like to thank the sponsors of today, um, System Capital Management, for funding this event. And I always forget this, but I'm not going to forget it today. The hashtag for today's event is Future Ukraine. And with that, I'll turn it over to my partner in crime, Ambassador Charlie, please. Thank you. And thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. Thank you very much for this opportunity to open this conference. And I wanted to begin with a thanks to this very important program from Atlantic Council, and Ambassador Herbs, Professor uh, Osland. You know, I will have a very short time to this introduction. That's why I will not to present you all our success and our reforms. You know, figure better than me. Ukraine now goes on the three track. The first and most important, how to stop the conflict, close the border, withdraw Russian weapons. And this year and next year will be crucial. We understand without security, it's almost impossible to develop an economy. But Ukraine made a miracle, even such a circumstances have, according to the World Bank estimation, this year 1.5% growth, and next year estimation 2.5% growth. We understand that uh, we should go over a difficult time, transformational reforms. We did many things, but many challenges we faced and threats. I know this will discuss Donbass. It's a very controversial issue, and I will be also with a great attention listen about possible doing business in Donbass. But I want to remind you that according to Ukraine legislation, now we have temporary occupied territory. How doing business in temporary occupied territory? At the same time, we have our people there, our citizens. So that citizens needs supply water, supply energy, supply everything. So how to keep their lives and uh, simply to give them a chance to survive. I was deeply involved in the negotiation process, on means process and other processes in my previous position. And I understand that some uh, sides of this negotiation on use that like a, uh, make some tricks. It's not about people, but we are from Ukraine and side very responsible and think about mostly about people. Uh, that's why economy and possible project important, especially the recovery of the supply of fresh water, supply energy, and everything. But once again, the best way how to find respond of these challenges, stop this conflict. Close the border, Withdrawing Russian weapons, Russian troops, exchange hostages, all fall, and after that, immediately goes to recovery, to restore restruction, and to rebuild economy in this very important region of Ukraine. 
it's also option because it's possible to change the structure of economy. After this conflict, this was almost destroyed the most and basic important sectors in this economy in Donbass and Lugansk and uh, Donetsk. That's why new vision and new vision of the place of this region and the economy of Ukraine very important. Speaking about our future for our economy, I think uh, we do not need to continue the same declaration of great potential of Ukraine, 45 million country, strategic role and place in the European economy, new relationship with European Union, association agreement, free trade area, free trade area with Canada. We're doing business three uh, last year and 32 position this year, rise, many other things. You can find it in the books of Anders Oslund. But what's important, find the unique place of Ukraine in the future of European economy. I do not see this place like a country that supply steel, coal, or human resources. It should be mixed, maybe the transformation period for that, but IT, agriculture. And more important, understand that Ukraine will not compete with, for example, uh, car production or the sphere that we can compete and should compete with 100 countries, no. We need to find this, our own unique place in this cooperation, European cooperation, international cooperation. That's why it's the right time for thinkers and today conference is a great opportunity to discuss this and to share with audience about this vision. We need vision. We do not need now tactic steps. It's important, but more important, most important, what we will have in the future. And once again, without important decision and secure people, secure businesses, secure economy, you can't go further. That's why my answer, how to develop economy and how to see in the future an economy in Donbass, in Ukraine, restore international law, maintain peace, back refugees, IDPs to this territory. And only after that, we can say that we are ready for the new step in the future. Thank you very much for your attention and wish you a good exchange and the success of this conference.
good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, welcome to the pa panel Business in Donbass. Is it possible, useful, or harmful? Uh, on behalf of our panel, I would like to thank the organizers for this very important and timely conference. Uh, and today we are having a conversation with uh, four uh, distinguished panelists. Uh, each of them has a very unique perspective on Donbass region. And the topic of the panel, fortunately so, restricts us from discussing politics or military issues. We are concentrating on economic and business issues of doing business in Donbass region, including the so-called zone of anti-terrorist operation, ATO zone. Uh, let me introduce our panelists. Um, Ambassador Martin Sadik uh, has enjoyed a distinguished career, diplomatic career, having served as uh, Austria's permanent representative in the United Nations and in many other countries and also has executive experience. Uh, he was um, serving in senior positions at a major Austrian construction company and an Austrian bank. Uh, at present, Ambassador Saidi holds very important position in the Minsk process. Uh, he is the special representative of the OEC chairperson in office in Ukraine and in the trilateral contact group on the implementation of the peace plan in the Eastern Ukraine. Uh, Dr. Vladislav Inaziemtsev uh, is the founder and director of the Moscow-based Center for Post-Industrial Studies. Uh, he authored uh, more than 20 books uh, on economy, international relations, Russian economic, political developments. And in recent years, he's a frequent guest in Ukraine and often comments on political and economic issues in Russian-Ukrainian uh, relations. Uh, Dr. Oleksandr Petrik um, was born and accomplished some of his studies in the Donbass region, and he spent 22 years with the National Bank of Ukraine, um, also taught uh, macroeconomics, monetary issues, and central banking, and authored numerous publications in mathematics and economics. At present, Oleksandr works with the IMF and serves as an alternate executive director. Uh, Mr. Vitaly Butenka uh, has extensive investment banking experience. He worked with EBRD, um, Credit Suisse, Bank of Nova Scotia, and since 2007 he works uh, with DTEC. Uh, at present, Vitaly holds position of commerce director and the head of the commercial division, runs the entire energy commodities portfolio of the DTEC group. Uh, the way we would like to structure our panel uh, to let every panelist uh, make some individual remark and then follow by Q&A session. Uh, let me please ask Ambassador Sidik to talk about the economic aspects of the Minsk process and also give us a broader view uh, what can be done economically and now and in the future. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. It's a great pleasure and great honor. Um, to you know, uh, save everybody's time. Um, let me say that in the Minsk agreements of February of uh, uh, last year, uh, there is only one paragraph uh, which, which deals with economic questions. Uh, and uh, allow me to read this paragraph to you so that you can understand already the scope of the problems we're dealing with. Um, the definition of modalities of full resumption of socioeconomic ties, including social transfers, such as pension payments and other payments, uh, incomes and revenues, timely payments of all utility bills, 
reinstating taxation within the legal framework of Ukraine. To this end, Ukraine shall reinstate control of the segment of its banking system in the conflict-affected areas and possibly an international mechanism to facilitate such transfers shall be established. This is the only reference in the, in the Minsk agreement to economic issues. So what are we doing to implement uh, uh, exactly uh, this part? Uh, before I uh, speak about that, I have to say one thing. Uh, the division of, uh, uh, you know, the, what I call in the Minsk agreements, we speak of the certain areas of uh, the Donetsk and Lugansk regions. Uh, that's also the terminology that I will uh, use now. Uh, the division uh, between uh, the government-controlled area and uh, these areas is an artificial one. The infrastructure uh, was a united infrastructure, a united infrastructure for electricity, for railways, for water. Uh, and now uh, the infrastructure is artificially divided, plus there is shelling going on, uh, and the, the infrastructure cannot be used. So the main aspect of the work, of the economic working group, which was also founded in the Minsk agreements, um, and is run by a German uh, former banker, Per Fischer, uh, who had been uh, with uh, Commerzbank in Moscow and Kiev and knows the area and the business there extremely well, um, is to reinstate the infrastructure, uh, to make the infrastructure function. Why do we need railways? We need the railways for, uh, to transport uh, coal uh, from uh, the certain areas to the government-controlled areas to the power stations. I'm sure we'll hear more uh, than, uh, about this from Italy. So this we uh, water. The water uh, runs from northeast uh, to southeast. So it comes from the government-controlled area, uh, goes into the certain areas, and then uh, also ends up water, uh, water uh, pipelines uh, end up actually in Mariupol, again, in the, in the very south, in the government-controlled areas. So uh, to have uh, all this functioning, water filtration station, uh, and they are shelled, this is, you have to always get this infrastructure going. Uh, and uh, this is one of the main areas of the work. Uh, the water is a very good example. Um, there are, uh, the, the water is provided from the government controlled areas, uh, from, for instance, one uh, company called Papasna Vodokanal, uh, and uh, it's uh, used in, in the certain areas of Lugansk and Donetsk. And how uh, are they going to pay? As we have heard, there is no uh, you know, banking system at the moment, uh, and uh, there are uh, actually really no functioning uh, bank, banking transfers and this part of the Minsk agreements is even far from being in implemented. So how are they going to pay? And uh, to uh, work out these payment mechanisms, this was also part of the work of the economic working group. Ex extremely difficult work uh, because uh, it requires uh, a lot of uh, you know, in in innovative uh, approaches, but also it requires that uh, uh, the company on from the certain areas of the Lugansk region is also established legally on, uh, in the government-controlled area. So uh, this means uh, movements back and forth uh, between the people and uh, uh, across uh, the line of contact. And uh, to get across the line of contact uh, sometimes takes four to five hours each way um, because of the controls there. So it is, it is difficult. Um, and, uh, it is, and this is the, if I may say so, the daily bread of this uh, 
uh, of the economic working group. Uh, especially, and I have to repeat that, uh, we all, over and over again work on uh, reinstating infrastructure because, unfortunately, shelling is going on. So railway lines are, you know, shelled over and over again. And then uh, this special monitoring mission of the, uh, the OECE, uh, led by uh, a Turkish uh, ambassador, Apakan, has to uh, facilitate, uh, you know, the works, the, the repair works, and uh, with uh, uh, the, the sites, the, com the combating sites, and this is also, by all means, not easy. Uh, one other aspect that uh, we deal with is the everyday life in the economic working group, the everyday life of the population. Uh, uh, the issue of uh, pension payments. Uh, the Ukraine at the moment uh, has uh, stopped uh, paying pensions uh, to people who live in the certain areas. They have to go uh, to the government-controlled uh, area, have to establish residence there, and then get their payment. Uh, for many uh, pensioners, uh, of especially of older age, this is extremely difficult. Uh, and for some, uh, it is simply impossible. Uh, so people just don't get their money. Uh, one has to say that do, they do also do have a pension now paid uh, in, in the certain areas. Uh, but it is, uh, you know, not, uh, obviously not very much. And uh, to live, they would be very interested to have these two payments. And uh, some people uh, who are, uh, you know, smart enough, if I may put it that way, uh, really do get these two payments. Uh, the other issue that we deal with is the issue of, of these crossing points that I already said. There are only five crossing points at the moment, one of which is only for pedestrians. Uh, in uh, in uh, the very uh, east of the uh, Lugansk Oblast. And uh, so uh, the people uh, cross there because uh, especially food uh, is, and, and uh, med medicine is much cheaper uh, on the government-controlled uh, territory. Uh, so uh, the people go there in order to, to buy food, to buy medicine and bring it back. Uh, bring it back for their, you know, for their daily life. There is uh, a, a, a weight limit uh, to bring back uh, that was 50 kilos. Uh, now it, is, it was raised to 75 kilos. But in reality, uh, there are no scales uh, to measure. Is it now really 50 kilos or will it be 75 kilos? This is all arbitrary. Uh, and arbitrary, arbitrary also means in this part of the world also something else. Uh, and I don't have to speak about that. Uh, I'm sure uh, you have your own imagination about this. Uh, so uh, also here, uh, we, uh, we have to work in order to uh, make these controls simply better for the population uh, and uh, work in a way uh, that the people you know, can cross and are treated uh, still as citizens of one country, of, of uh, the Ukraine as one country. And this is uh, the most important aspect. There is now one ministry uh, of, uh, headed by Mr. Chenish, who, by the way, will be in New York tomorrow and speaking on the UNDP conference. Um, and uh, he is in charge of uh, this uh, uh, anti-terrorist uh, you know, area. Uh, but uh, his main uh, so to say, uh, purpose of the purpose of this ministry is to you know, keep these uh, parts together because this is the spirit of the Minsk agreements. But as I uh, hope that I can could, uh, so to say, tell you now in this uh, short time, we are still far away 
from implementing even those few lines of paragraph 8 of the Minsk agreements. Uh, thank you, Ambassador Sadiq. Uh, and now we move from diplomacy to business. And uh, Vitaly represents here one of the biggest companies, if not the largest, doing business in Donbass region and in the ATO zone. And uh, I want to ask you how DTEC navigates all these complications and obstacles, and um, <coughs> how do you see economic solutions now and later from rehabilitation to revival of the region? Thank you. Thank you, Atlantic Council, for inviting me to share our views, business views, on a very important issue. Uh, the matter with um, doing business in ATO is uh, something that's very close to, to heart, to our uh, company, because we've been, uh, albeit unwillingly, uh, engaged uh, facing the necessities to maintaining the coherence operation of our business. Um, I will... Um, provide some views in the, in the, in the context of, uh, first of all, the, uh, the economic uh, uh, place of the ATO from the point of view of the uh, power sector of Ukraine. Um, and I will give some, uh, some uh, flavors so the audience could uh, appreciate the uh, challenges that we as a business have to face on a daily basis. Um, trying to make things work uh, between Ukraine, uh, mainland, and ATO. And uh, our position with regards to some key enablers uh, for the uh, ATO territories in terms of the potential uh, reintegration and rehabilitation. To, to fully come, uh, appreciate the, the, the situation and the role of ATO, um, territories uh, from the point of view of the power sector, I'll give a very brief introduction uh, of the structure of the power sector of Ukraine that put it in the context. Um, the power, gen <coughs> power generated in Ukraine is uh, generated, 50% uh, of it is generated by nuclear. Uh, about 30-35% is being generated by thermal power generation, which is using coal as, the, uh, as a fuel. And the remainder uh, goes for the hydro and renewables. Now, the 35% of the thermal power generation is uh, being generated by 14 power plants. Half of those plants are using the steam coal or G-grade coal to produce power. And the, uh, the other half, the other seven, are using anthracites. So uh, the mines that produce steam coal, they are located on the controlled territory in Ukraine. There is no problem with the production and supply. However, all the mines, that produce anthracite type of coal, they are located on the territories known as ATO zone. So hence, there is a problem uh, with the supply of coal, which affects half of the thermal power generation in Ukraine. What are the alternatives to the supply of the anthracite coal? There aren't that many. Basically, there are two. First is Russia, because Russia is producing anthracite coal, which uh, which can fit the technical requirements of the thermal power plants of Ukraine. And the other sources is a little bit further out. It's uh, South Africa or Australian coal, where it's coal that produce anthracite coal, which also could, uh, could be used for the thermal power plants. However, neither of these two uh, sources represent uh, a viable uh, and, I would say, reliable uh, source of coal from the point of view of economics, logistics, and not the least of this is geopolitical uh, situation. Now, DTAC, 
operates 12 mines and uh, six co-processing plants on the ATO zone, which are, which are producing anthracite. Um, just to get, a, to get a better feel, it's about 50% of all the anthracites being produced uh, on Ukrainian territory um, and from the ATO zone. Now, we have currently about 30,000 people working at our company's ATO zone. Those are the coal mines. We have one power plant and a couple of distribution companies. If you add to that number the people working for the businesses located in those territories that belong to MetInvest, then in total you will, uh, you will see that SCM Group have a combined professional f workforce in the ATO zone. It's over 50,000 people. So if you put it in the macro context, then ATO zone, because of the um, situation with the anthracite coal, uh, has a direct bearing on the integrity of Ukrainian energy supply. Uh, because any interruption with the supply of the anthracite coal cannot be easily replaced by the alternative sources. And uh, uh, from the point of view of the integrity of the uh, energy system, if nuclear, giving its 50% status, is like your backbone, then thermal generation is, is uh, basically arms and legs of the, of the whole system. So, and such, the uh, energy security could be easily, could be easily compromised with the, any substantial and long-term long interruption with the supply of the coal. On the micro uh, context, the ubiquitous nature of the power supply, which pretty much affects uh, all the facets of the economy uh, in those uh, non-controlled territories, and it pretty much affects every single person and business that uh, live and operate there on a daily basis. And as such, it, it, makes, the, it makes it an integral part of any effort towards the economic recovery, rehabilitation, or integration of the ATO zone territories to the Ukrainian economy uh, and the social uh, ecosystem. So when the hostilities has begun in 2014, uh, and it was as unexpected for, uh, for us as for anyone else, for that matter, so we have been confronted uh, with, the in, with the mounting um, uh, with, with, with mounting uh, pressure from three principal challenges. Uh, operational, logistical, and what would we call it a jurisdictional legal challenge. From the operational point of view, we had to figure out and do it fairly quickly how to keep the coal mines working. How to maintain a coal production in the situation where all the traditional supply chains have been either destroyed or severely severed due to the, uh, due to the hostilities. Also, we had to find a way to ensure that the, for the, the workforce uh, remains in place at our coal mines. And that required us to keep the people committed and motivated despite of the very hostile environment which provided plenty of stimuli for the destructive behavior which is inconsistent with the business's normal practices. So when you, when you find yourself in a situation that your business uh, is submerged in the environment, charged with a quite an extreme uh, emotional projections of personal views uh, and uh, family dramas, we, as a matter of corporate 
policy and position, we opted to take a strictly non-political approach in communicating our position, our company position, as, as the one based on a strict adherence to the principles of territorial integrity of Ukraine and full compliance with the Ukrainian rules and regulations. In a nutshell, what we would describe it is one Ukraine, one DTEC. There is no other ways to, to approach it. People accepted that. The, our people that are working in our, uh, in our businesses there, um, coal mining, they accepted that position. Now, another big challenge was a logistical challenge, which uh, um, basically led to, uh, to instances where the coal supplies was uh, from, from the coal mines operated by our company was uh, severely and repeatedly uh, interrupted which prevented us to ensure the safe supply of coal to our thermal power plants. Since, uh, um, because, because of, because of the, the unpredicted nature of those kind of interruptions, uh, we had to, uh, as I say, on the go, to, uh, to, to engage in the number of efforts um, on our own volition, uh, which require the, um, uh, putting the, the, the resources on uh, re repairing the re infrastructure that was damaged, uh, especially uh, severely damaged during the first half of the, of the conflict. So as an example, since the time that uh, hostilities broke in the ATO zone, um, our people, our, uh, our employees, have restored electricity supplies to 1.8 million of people uh, and 860 communities. And together with MetInvest, we have um, uh, allocated uh, quite a substantial resources and expertise towards the restoration of the railway infrastructure, which was uh, damaged by the war. Without that, you know, any, any supply of coal, uh, which is required for the thermal uh, power plants and energy system, was, was impossible. Now, that, th those efforts, um, came also with a high price. We have lost 59 employees since the beginning of the conflict. And those are the employees of DTEC that um, were killed while performing an emergency repair work on the local uh, power infrastructure. So in, in and the last but not least, um, as far as the challenges are concerned, is the challenge which uh, uh, deals with jurisdictional and legal um, uncertainty, uh, 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 which prevented, which could have prevented uh, us or anyone else, for that matter, for the uninterrupted supply of the coal from the ATO zone to Ukrainian power sector. Um, our position, and that, that required, in fact, that required an engagement with the government, the various government agencies on unprecedented scale, uh, starting, not starting from the Minister of Energy and all the way to Minister of Transportation and, and the, and the uh, SBU, or all the governmental agencies which one way or the other were put in charge uh, or had a stake in determining how the flow of goods should or should not be carried out between the ATO, um, ATO territories uh, and, and the Ukrainian uh, territories. Uh, giving our intimate knowledge on, on the technical uh, aspects of, uh, of the logistical issues, we, we were able to provide a timely uh, um, uh, 
um, on a timely basis information and in some recommendations how to make things work from the business point of view. How to create the, uh, the, the legal or regulatory fr uh, framework that would allow company like DTEC and other companies to operate uh, for the lack of alternatives with the, with the, um, with the ATO uh, territories without breaking the law, without putting themselves in a, in a, in a situation whereby they could be, uh, you know, they, they could be liable under the Ukrainian, uh, Ukrainian legal, uh, legal system. Um, however, while doing all this, and we were so submerged in actually dealing with those challenges, we paid little uh, or no attention to to what was uh, to, the, to 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 the area of the uh, of the public domain. As a result, we more often than not we found ourselves under uh, intense pressure in the court of public opinion uh, on both sides of the demarcation line, and. For the most part, those accusations that uh, we've read about ourselves, they were baseless accusations, and as such, uh, they were impossible to refute. However, from day one, we have taken and we maintain our position with regards to Ukrainian sovereignty and border integrity in everything that uh, we had to do in order to keep the business going. And that require the broad engagement, as I mentioned before, the broad engagement with the, with the Ukrainian government, with the various agencies, and as well as uh, building the working relationship with, the, uh, with, the, with the, our own workforce, which was continuously uh, under pressure on that territory. Uh, the pressure that amounted from uh, well, propaganda, if you like, or to the point where uh, we had quite often, you know, the uh, a bunch of people with arms would would uh, would enter the territory of our coal mines and uh, and and announce that uh, from now on uh, they are the kings of the world and they are going to be operating that uh, and people were were always seeking for guidance and and support from uh, from 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 the company which they provided we managed to uh, we managed to resolve those issues without uh, without any damage to our control of those operations. So when we, as a business, when we think about the, what, are the, what, what are the key enablers for the uh, future, uh, inevitable in our view, uh, rehabilitation and reintegration of the uh, ATO zone territories, we see three uh, basic things. First, we need to continue to maintain and to the extent possible expand current economic and social relationships between the people and businesses on both sides of the ATO uh, demarcation line. This will provide, uh, in our view, uh, a solid base for future, uh, all the future effort um, uh, focused on rehabilitation and reintegration into the Ukrainian economic and uh, regulatory legal uh, ecosystem. Now, in the earlier, uh, the, the second enabler, we believe, um, uh, and it's, um, it's it's more pertinent to to the it's more pertinent to to the early stage of uh, recovery integration is to focus on repair in reconstruction of the damaged infrastructure. This will uh, pave the way for restoring confidence in a, in a, in a brighter economic future uh, for for all the local constituencies. And, and, and the third uh, uh, enabler um, is 
to whatever efforts, whatever initiatives are going to be put in place, they need to stimulate the employment in the real economy with a concurrent raise in the income levels and standard of living, uh, and standard of living for people on those territories. That will create, uh, you know, in, that will create artificial war of resistance to any and marginalize uh, any attempts to move away from the peace process and uh, return to the hostilities and destruction. Uh, at this point of time, I will probably finish my remarks and I'll pass on the. Uh, thank you very much, Vitali. Um, Alexander Petrik uh, is the only one from our panel who actually comes from Donbas region, and he also has a dual perspective of uh, working with the National Bank and with the IMF. So I guess we want to hear uh, what sort of opportunities exist uh, within the region that would contribute to its revitalization, and what priorities do you see from both perspectives, currently and in the future. Thank you very much uh, for introduction and thank you Atlantic Council for inviting me. Uh, it's really, for me, it's Donbass is not only, uh, to say, professional interest, but a lot of relatives now live in this region and I continue to communicate with them and about this question. Of course, we need to split firstly the political issue and economic issue. And I want to tell here uh, about the perspective of this region as a uh, part of the future of Ukraine. Uh, also, we need to split the uh, short-term uh, measures and uh, measures and economic mostly and more prospective measures. In short-term measures, of course, it's uh, extremely necessary to uh, provide the, uh, some uh, basic uh, infrastructure, basic services, and mostly is the uh, local uh, uh, state uh, authorities uh, power in this territory, which could be adjusted with the rest of the Ukraine. Uh, in the industrial area, it's more important to uh, move, as the colleagues told, the, uh, in short-term period, to create some job opportunity to job to people and uh, start uh, to uh, work industry in the most power to using the current possibilities. What this mean? For example, it's more important the combine the synergy effect of the coal uh, mines, also is the energy power uh, which use the coal and transmission electric lines. These uh, three uh, components could be create more jobs and also it's a synergy effect. It could be uh, some services, supporting services, supporting the small business who could be concentrated around this. Uh, about the long-term perspective, of course, during the last uh, three years, Ukraine, rest of Ukraine, uh, move ahead in the some areas of reform uh, in accordance with program which supports the IMF. And uh, we see the first, uh, for example, uh, tariffs uh, for heating and electricity and gas was adjusted with the market uh, level. Uh, also is uh, some reform in the uh, banking sector, in the fiscal adjustment. 
And uh, if we could be considered the future of this territory, we need to see also how to fast to implement this reform in this territory as well. Because we see the different level. For example, very simple example, the uh, different currency which used in the Ukrainian territory in the uh, uh, ATO. Uh, my relatives told that now the main currency in Donetsk is the Russian ruble. And of course, it's possible to change grivna to ruble, but all payments uh, in the stores, stores in the uh, services, uh, payment mostly by the Russian rubble. This is problem which we need to think about the, when uh, territory will be adjusted in the uh, uh, Ukrainian territory. Uh, what else? Uh, that's maybe it's... Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, to sum up uh, our remarks, Vladislav. Uh, thank you, everybody, for coming. It's a great pleasure to be here again. Um, I would say that uh, I would not sum up, of course, uh, all these distinguished panelists, but I would like to say a couple of words about, my, uh, about what I see is going on in Donbass, based on uh, a lot of evidences from Ukrainian businessmen relocated from there to Kiev and other Ukrainian cities. And what can we expect, I would say? First of all, just go to the very official figures provided by the so-called uh, Donetsk um, Republic uh, Ministry for Economic Development, which shows that uh, the amount of the industrial production in these territories is uh, around 31% of the pre-war level, so it drops three times. Uh, the amount of, um, uh, of uh, retail turnover, or retail trade, is down four times. It's around 26% of the pre-war level. And every one, uh, and only one industry which is now flourishing is agriculture, uh, which uh, amount of production increased uh, of around two times. So what does it, uh, does it show? It shows uh, that the region is going on to more and more autarkic uh, economic position. Uh, the trade, uh, and of course Donbass was famous in Ukraine um, before the war for its export capabilities, the export declined drastically. Uh, and so therefore, what we can now see that the core industries in Donbass suffer very much. And actually, I don't see any kind of you know, resolving this situation. Of course, everybody before me said about uh, this very special uh, legal situation in Donbass. Of course, it's true. Uh, and uh, the companies which operate there claim that they should be in a uh, general uh, legal uh, framework of the Ukrainian government, of the Republic of Ukraine. So therefore, they are paying taxes in Kiev. Of course, the uh, so-called governments of the self-proclaimed territories uh, say that the taxes should be paid at place as well. So therefore, the companies use you know, such a duplicate identities or doubling companies or mirror companies establishing both on the Ukrainian mainland and in these uh, ATO territories, uh, just to pay somehow taxes there and there, uh, to, uh, to become you know, uh, law-abiding entities in both, uh, in both jurisdictions. So it, it, it complicates the business very much. Uh, of course, uh, Ukrainian uh, official policy is uh, that we cannot do any kind of trade with these uh, territories under uh, the regime of ATO. Uh, of course, this trade exists, uh, as it exists even between uh, Ukraine and Crimea. Uh, and this uh, produces, I think, a lot of uh, uh, possibilities and a, lo a lot of grounds 
for uh, building uh, the Donbass uh, in, in, its recent, uh, in its recent situation as a kind of a gray zone, uh, both for Ukraine and Russia. Of course, there is a lot of uncertainties there. The Russian national currency is widely used uh, for all the cash transactions there. Uh, the Ukrainians are dependent uh, from uh, the pensions and other social supply from Ukrainian mainland. So therefore, I would say that uh, what we are look seeing now is uh, the process which uh, goes alongside uh, the freezing of the conflict. So uh, it's something like we saw in the 90s in the Transnistrian region of Moldova, uh, where the economy accustomed to operate under very specific kind of laws uh, and I, under the double identity of both Transnistrian companies and Moldovan companies. For example, if you are a Transnistrian company, if you want to uh, sell your products abroad, you should go and clear it to Moldova, Moldova customs. So this is something like this, uh, I, I imagine, which is developing in um, uh, ATO zone. Uh, and uh, as the time passes, uh, the situation will be even more you know, solid in this case. So a lot of uh, gray uh, economy, unofficial economy, uh, a lot of uh, you know, transactions uh, both into Russia and into Ukraine, because the region can survive uh, without experts uh, to the east and to the west. And uh, I actually have no, main, no much uh, hope for resolving the situation in any case, because the Minsk uh, agreements, uh, yeah, it was said that in economic terms they are very, uh, you know, insufficient. In political terms, I think they are completely impossible to be fulfilled. So they stuck for more than two years, and uh, I don't see any progress and even the possibilities of progress. So therefore, I would say that uh, what we can expect uh, is uh, the freezing of the situation on the uh, current levels. The economic uh, activity in the region will be depressed. Uh, the more, a lot of in entrepreneurs who were fueling this economy with their energy uh, went to Kiev and to other Ukrainian cities and uh, are going forward with their, maybe with other businesses or with kind of uh, former businesses, and uh, of course there will be no uh, investment from abroad, either from Ukrainian side or from Russian side, because the Russians are not very interested in <coughs> developing the industry in this part of Ukraine, because they have, uh, you know, on the other side of the border, uh, Rostov region with the same kind of uh, coal production and with the same possibilities of advancing the industrial production, so they don't want to have any kind of, uh, of competitors uh, there. Uh, only one point I would maybe finish with uh, is that the economy, of course, is a driving force uh, behind all the politics. And the uh, Ukrainian oligarchs, mainly uh, the majority of which actually came from Donbass and from uh, Donetsk and Lugansk regions, they will somehow try to, uh, to, to keep their businesses running. This will keep some kind of balance and some kind of connections between the ATO territories and the, and the rest of Ukraine. But in my uh, opinion, uh, the main efforts in this case will be diverted for making this economy, economic ties running in one, once more, I would say, in the gray zone, because you cannot establish fully, uh, you know, open and transparent relations, both uh, with Russia and both Ukraine, with Ukraine. So my point, uh, I would finish, uh, is that we will not see the, any resolution of the conflict in coming years. Uh, the situation will go into long-time freezing conflicts, uh, which actually is accompanied with uh, gray economy 
flourishing in the region, and with both Russians and Ukrainians uh, extracting some benefits from this status of the ATO region. So this can last for many years, I think. Uh, thank you, Vladislav. Um, I'm not sure if many in, in this audience agree with this uh, pretty depressing scenario, but we can talk <laughs> about it later. Um, I would like to kick off the Q&A session um, with two questions uh, that I want to pose to the entire panel. And uh, the first question is about present, and the second question is about future. Uh, the first question is about current economic policies of Ukrainian government towards the ATO zone. Um, we are hearing a lot of comments and uh, extreme views. Uh, one of the, on one side of extreme views is let's, um, let's go for economic blockade of the ATO zone, let's cut all the economic ties, and actually this extreme view was falsely attributed to the Atlantic Council recently. Uh, then there is another extreme view on the other side, let's just open the borders, let you know, business flow, and then in the middle, we have uh, Minsk uh, process, uh, what Ambassador Sadiq was saying, that we worry about infrastructure, we worry about uh, social issues, and the same uh, conclusions were made by UNDP note uh, quite recently, that infrastructure should be restored and that the crossing should be much more smooth. So in all this spectrum, where do you stand? Do you think the current Ukrainian uh, policies of Ukraine towards ATO zone are correct, or what needs to be changed? How they can be improved. And we can go from you, Vitaly, and then... Uh... You know, from the, uh, from the business point of view, uh, we don't like extremes. We don't like going to the, further to the left or to the right. Uh, extremes means high volatility and risks, and, and those are the not conditions under which you can uh, run a reliable and uh, self-sustainable uh, business operation. Uh, we particularly acutely felt it in the situations when uh, dealing with between ATO zone and Ukrainian zone. Uh, what happened historically, business had, was forced to react much faster than the government uh, because the government has potentially the luxury of thinking and discussing and trying to weigh the political risk, etc., etc. We didn't have that luxury because the moment you stop delivering coal to the power station is the moment when you're putting the clock on a, on a, on a, on a, on a timer uh, for the blackouts, which potentially can hit. And we, 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 we came very close to that in, in, in 2014 when the ATO uh, zone has basically materialized, hostilities started. Now, all the supply of the coal, anthracite coal, from the territory was interrupted. We went to Russia as the closest supplier. Uh, Russians' uh, private sector, called private sector, was only uh, too happy to accommodate, <coughs> uh, adding a hefty premium to the price, but we didn't have much of a choice. And in, we started <coughs> wrapping up the supplies up to the end of November of 2014, when Kremlin said, I don't think so, and they stopped all the supplies of the coal. There was no economic reasons. And all of a sudden, uh, the, even the, and we had a winter pretty much already coming. So uh, we, we had to find, we reacted very quickly. We went and we bought the coal from South Africa and Australia, uh, very expensive, but we managed to go through the winter. So we had to react very quickly. Um, in, in a way, what happened then, then the, the governmental agencies, um, they came around and then they realized that the optionality uh, is very limited in terms of whether 
make a decision to deal or not to deal with ATO, at least in the context of the of the coal supplies. And, and this is where the synergy came in because we came in uh, uh, we came in armed with the information and understanding what's required. Not what's required necessarily for the company interest, for DTAC interest, what's required for, for the integrity of the power system of Ukraine, power sector of Ukraine. Uh, and this is where we saw eye to eye. And, 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 uh, and once you get into that level of engagement, because of the ATO headquarters and, and you know, uh, is uh, basically have the annual um, weekly meetings where you have all the people, the different uh, uh, government agencies, which one way or the other have to uh, put up a policy. How to how do we deal with the outstanding issues? And we became uh, pretty much a part of that process because we were able to provide the first-hand uh, intelligence or what's what's going on and how to make it work. We re-registered all our companies, all our businesses on Ukrainian territory. We're paying taxes and salary on Ukrainian territory. We don't pay a penny to any taxes or fees claim demands on that side. Be giving our, the size of our business and support of Ukrainian government, we're able to continue operate under those terms. So going back how to improve uh, economic policies, uh, being on the ground, do you see any room for improvement? What Ukrainian government should do to improve economic policies, current policies? Well, number one, as I, as I started, no extremes. Number two, uh, you know, all the efforts have to be focused on a gradual um, uh, increase in economic and social interaction uh, between people on the ground there. Let's just separate. There are people, there are Ukrainians who happen to be caught between the rock and the hot place, and they live there, they, for, for a number of reasons, they couldn't leave those territories. We, we have to uh, take a lot of people from our, a lot of people, uh, from our offices in, in Donetsk, Ukraine, and so, some of them still have families there which couldn't leave. So those people, they need the, the support, they need to feel as part of the uh, inclusion. And the economic ties and economic interaction and social uh, and social as well cultural. The, the, this is the, this is basically the recipe for the success of reintegration. So, but the the way to approach it, and I'm not talking about the politics. There's one thing that we cannot uh, uh, deal with: is the politics. Yeah, we talk about economic policy. Yes, now. I'm talking yeah. about pure economic common sense on the level of you know. We understand your, your problems and our problems are similar. Let's try to make it work. Okay, thank you. Vladislav, any ideas? No, uh, not, not, not much. Because I actually understand the Ukrainian official position that it should be, you know, the complete disruption of economic ties uh, with this ETO region. And this position, I think, is much, much more integral than uh, the position uh, towards the Crimea before the uh, autumn of 2015 when it was proclaimed as free economic zone, uh, and so on. So therefore, I actually support uh, the idea that you shouldn't uh, have much economic cooperation with the region, which is governed by the people who killed you know, thousands of Ukrainian soldiers uh, during this uh, bloody war. So therefore, I cannot expect from the Ukrainian politicians to change this position because of the public opinion, because of the political logic. So therefore, it's once I will once again repeat that my point is that all uh, the 
economic interaction will be semi-official in any case. Uh, also, it's very interesting how the people and the companies operating in the ATO zone can pay taxes only to Kyiv, while, for example, the same Minister of Economic Development of uh, DNR uh, is uh, claiming that every company pays taxes uh, in, in the region as well maybe partially. So how can it happen? I actually don't understand. So there is a lot of, you know, uh, undisclosed, uh, undisclosed uh, uh, elements in, in the policy, both in political circles and in business circles. Everything here comes more and more gray, what I, I would say. And I cannot see anything which can put the situation the other way around. Thank you. Uh, Ambassador Sadik, we've heard the official um, views of the Minsk process, economic group and uh, economic policies, but do, being on the ground and seeing what's happening, do you see any improvement uh, Ukrainian government can make in its economic policies? Well, look, I'm not here uh, to criticize the Ukrainian government or to praise the Ukrainian government. I have to, I have to deal with the realities. Um, and, uh, and one reality, whether you know, uh, one likes it or not, is uh, the spirit of uh, Minsk, which is, as I said before, a united Ukraine. And, uh, and uh, the spirit of Minsk, in the Minsk agreements, sees the people who live uh, in the certain areas of Donetsk and Lugansk regions as uh, their citizens. Uh, and uh, this is the approach uh, that one has to uh, have as to the Minsk agreements. Um, if uh, the Ukrainian government collects taxes from companies like Detec uh, and uh, collects these taxes, uh, so one might ask the question, well, why don't they pay pensions? Uh, and uh, so this is, um, this, is a, this is a question that is, that is certainly there. And uh, we, uh, and there are internal discussions uh, in Kiev on this issue. Uh, and uh, so to say that there is one clear line uh, in uh, Kiev on this issue uh, would probably be wrong. Uh, and uh, there are permanent discussions on, 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 on all on the relationship. And I do believe that this, this is uh, really important. Uh, one also has to see one, one fact uh, not only in Soviet times, but also afterwards, you know, the Donbass was one of the most flourishing re regions uh, in, in the Soviet Union. It definitely was. Um, and uh, Shakhtyor in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Donetsk was a very, you know, special person. He uh, was the one who, uh, you know, got a Shiguli or maybe even a Volga, uh, you know, uh, faster than anybody else. He made a lot of money and he was a proud person. And what is now, what do we see now? This region and the people who live there depend on humanitarian aid. Uh, they depend on humanitarian aid given from, uh, uh, from uh, the Ahmetov uh, Foundation. Uh, they, uh, they receive it uh, from Russia, but they also receive it from the UN. And uh, the distribution of these goods, uh, especially from the UN, is often hampered uh, by uh, the uh, authorities uh, of the certain areas, uh, and, but the people certainly need it. And when one sees the poor people crossing, uh, you know, the, this uh, uh, pedestrian bridge in Lugansk, <coughs> and, and see how poor they really are, mm -hmm. and how they have to carry their own uh, bags, they 
uh, last time, uh, last year I was there, and I saw that they were carrying Christmas trees from uh, the government area to the Lugansk area across the bridge, you know, uh, carry Christmas tree for, for three kilometers or four kilometers. Uh, so this is, this is really sad. And uh, so I think uh, one has to, one also has to see it uh, so from, uh, you know, also from, from the spirit of, uh, yes, they are our citizens. Uh, this is correct, but the picture that you uh, painted of flourishing region and proud coal miner driving the Volga car, these are Soviet-era pictures. Uh, 25 years of independence, totally different economic situation. Uh, Donbass, before, uh, even before the military conflict, was already depressed and subsidized uh, region. So this is not the picture which uh, was there, you know, in a recent history. So uh, the question is, uh, actually very nice uh, liaison to our next question about the future. But before we move to the future, maybe Alexander can make a comment about no, improving current This politics. question is because we, we try to discuss more economic topic, but this question is difficult to split uh, for political or economic because it's very interlinked. Because, uh, of course, is by definition, it's not discussion, that this territory sooner or later could be and must be Ukrainian part. And uh, all, not only its Ukrainian position, but also, uh, also international society support this position. From other side, of course, I think maybe it's, it's my point of view, the priority is the people. It's uh, why we think about the industry, why we think about the, it's good example of blackout. If we think that, for example, very um, radical position, we uh, interrupted all link with the people who temporarily live in this. What's happened with the people who live in the Ukrainian territory? It's about heating, about the light, about the, uh, we need to think about the uh, problem of displaced people. Now the uh, big problem for Europe, the uh, one billion or more uh, refugees from the Syria, from the, but for Ukraine, displaced people, internally displaced people, is uh, by official statistics only 1.6 million of people who move from the ATO region. Now some of them, of course, has come back, but it's uh, no good condition for this. And we see, and uh, Ukrainian government and business and think about these people from first of all. And uh, this also could be discussed about the future because it's the current situation and current relation. Uh, economic relation, social relation with these people could be found at the base for more easy future adjustment of this territory to come back to Ukraine. Uh, thank you. Um, one very quick question. The topic of our conference is the future of the Ukrainian economy. So uh, let's take care of the elephant in the room and uh, let's assume that uh, Donbass is free and part of Ukraine and uh, the political settlement is achieved. So what do you do with this previously depressed region, but also devastated by three years of terrible mismanagement and uh, uh, all kinds of problems. Uh, what, what would be your three silver bullets uh, to revitalize this region, Vitaly? 
Um, first, uh, I would say the, uh, the clearly uh, there's a, a, a terrific opportunity to rebuild the infrastructure and rebuild the infrastructure from scratch uh, using the most advanced and modern uh, technologies. Uh, and that's clearly uh, something that could become a uh, poster boy for Ukrainian economy going forward, uh, particularly transportation. Uh, second of all, uh, is uh, if we are talking about the uh, energy uh, aspect of it, uh, so clearly give the incentive impetus for the development of the of the new of the renewables uh, sector. Uh, such as wind farms, uh, which could uh, increase the uh, share of, uh, of Ukrainian power sector in terms of the carbon, uh, reducing the carbon print. Uh, and and uh, third is the um, providing the incentive for the um, for the type of jobs uh, that would uh, create the the gravity for the young, uh, ambitious minds. Uh, to go there and start building their own future and careers on, on those territories. So like IT hub or something like that? It could be anything. I mean, if you, if you look at the technological developments, I mean, you, you clearly need more analysis needs to be done, but the, 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 the conceptually, right? You know, if you want to breathe in a new life in this territory, you need to bring new blood. A new blood is in, who is willing to take the challenges, and those are the, typically the young people who who are on the cutting edge, who who put in the context of rebuilding this <coughs> region and giving it a new economical meaning. Uh, th this they can organize uh, not only the people on that territory but the entire Ukraine. Sounds great. Thank you, uh, Vladislav. I know it goes a bit against your scenario, but. Let's say uh, Donbass is completely restored. You know, Ukrainian uh, authorities restored. What are the three silver bullets? So no, I cannot on? speak about this because I think this uh, scenario will be a complete disaster for Ukraine. Because if you want to, you know, to pay for the loyalty of, of these breakaway regions, it will take enormous amount of money and will really stop any integration of Ukraine to the Western world. It's the same kind as uh, you imagine the Chechnya in Russia will be 15 times bigger. And uh, even now the Russian budget is uh, you know, feeling how much money is going there. And this is a kind of autonomy uh, the, the breakaway republics in Donbass want to, wants to enjoy. Uh, so if you have Chechnya from you know, Dagestan to, 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 to Oryo or Bryansk, it's the same kind. It's unbearable, un unbearable thing for Ukrainian economy, even for international community as well. Okay, thank you. Ambassador Saidi. Well, I think, uh, I mean, it's always good to look into the future, but at the moment we still have, uh, you know, hostilities going on, we have the shelling going on, and uh, what we need most of all is at the, at the moment is the end of, uh, you know, the hostilities. Uh, and uh, if, we, if we have the end of hostilities, uh, then confidence can grow for the future. Uh, and uh, what we, you know, uh, this is our daily bread uh, in, in Minsk, and uh, to end the hostilities, uh, to, you know, to start to have again uh, some mutual trust. Um, and uh, then uh, we can dream about the future. But uh, one thing, at least for me, is for sure that without uh, international assistance, uh, from the European Union, from uh, from uh, the from the U.S., uh, from Japan. Japan is actually quite involved in Ukraine, uh, and is one of is a big donor country. Uh, so uh, 
without uh, this international help, uh, I don't think uh, that uh, one, one can see uh, a fast uh, recovery. And a fast recovery is definitely necessary uh, to have the people believe uh, in, in the future. And uh, so uh, here, but unfortunately, first of all, uh, we have to fulfill the first three paragraphs of the Minsk agreements, which is security. Uh, and then uh, let's uh, uh, dream about uh, the future. Thank you, Alexander. Uh, I agree with Vladislav. Vladislav, only one thing. The uh, future unification uh, and joining, it will be very costly. And of course, for Ukraine, it's impossible to fast adjustment without the international help, without the cooperation with West with the international institutions and so on. But example of the Germany, I think that uh, of course is uh, maybe not same uh, situation as in Ukraine, but difference is drastical between West and East Germany. And uh, if I don't mistake, the West Germany during the 20 years spent uh, 1.5 trillion of the euros for renovating the GDR or the East uh, German lands for lead be high level, not same now, but lead be improve the situation. Uh, first is the position of the people. I think the uh, Germans, uh, by the way, when I studied in the Donetsk University, we have the change program and some uh, Germans uh, from uh, this East uh, uh, Germany study with me and live with in my one apartment in Apsijitia uh, with me. And uh, I discussed after with uh, East West German, is it agreed to uh, make the burden to pay for unification. It's almost all people. Yes, we are ready to make this burden. We make to pay, does not matter how long, but it's our people, it's same Germans. And I think that all Ukrainians think that it's our people, it's our relatives, it's our Ukrainians. Of course, it's very costly. It could be uh, pulled back Ukrainians in some reforms. But nevertheless, I think it's uh, inevitable that this sooner or later this territory joined to Ukraine, and of course, it's we need uh, to opportunity. Uh, I agree with the uh, uh, position that, uh, of course, Donbass lose the Donetsk lose the sixty percent of the um, uh, regional GDP. Uh, Lugansk is 80% of regional GDP. And now to uh, in, uh, recreate the same kind of the uh, industry, in the, it's no, not appropriate. I think the uh, prospect, you need to think about the gas industry. Maybe it's Lidby North, Shell Gas, and of course with uh, environmental uh, control. Second is uh, uh, alternative energy because this step uh, terrain allowed to develop the um, wind industry and also very important small medium enterprise, uh, small business. I think there is three uh, uh, pillars who could be pushed more faster uh, this region to the unification with Ukraine.
thank you very much. And we have time for a few questions. Uh, our panel started 15 minutes late. We tried to uh, keep it uh, very tight. Uh, please uh, identify yourself and ask a quick question. And uh, tell us uh, to whom your question is addressed. Miron. Wait for the microphone, please. Hi, Myron Rabi, Dentons. I guess my question is uh, to you, uh, your point on the, uh, the example of G West Germany integrating East Germany, but East, West Germany had a, the economic powerhouse that was West Germany could sustain uh, the economic integration of an East Germany. Ukraine simply is poor at this point, and its GDP does not allow it to integrate that whole economy. You're saying that'll take years, and it would seem to me that if, if we take your position and your position together, that perhaps that's possible, but only in a very, in a very, very, very long-term view when Ukraine, when the sustainability of a recovery is possible. And in the meanwhile, you're stuck with a gray zone, which is not good for you, and, and just keeps you working. Uh, so, uh, in conclusion, I, I, it's a pretty depressing outcome. And uh, is, uh, going back to the international community, are they prepared for that? So the question is to Ambassador Saidid. Yeah. Is the that, international that, that, community prepared to sustain a gray zone for the next mm -hmm. many, many years? Sustain the gray zone. It's question to you. Is well, international community prepared to sustain the gray zone for a while? Well, I have to say that uh, not many people realize uh, that there is this gray zone and uh, that this gray zone certainly poses a big, a big danger, uh, yeah, potential yeah. danger. And uh, if one discusses uh, Ukrainian issues, Donbass issues uh, in other parts of Europe, in my country, in Austria, uh, people are not aware of this. Uh, but one thing is for sure, that in the European Union, the people who work in the European Union, these people know very well what's going on there. Uh, they know extremely well uh, that uh, one has to, uh, if you know, you know, time comes, uh, that one has to uh, come with uh, you know, real money at the beginning, uh, just in order you know, to uh, overcome this gray zone. Uh, it's not only a gray zone, it can also be, you know, if this is not only a gray zone, it can be a, a big black hole. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and we, have to, we have to avoid that this black hole, you know, grows, becomes deeper and deeper. Um, let me, as an Austrian, uh, also, you know, uh, react to this uh, uh, comparison with uh, uh, the GDR. Uh, and that only uh, West Germany shouldered it. Don't forget that this, there was the European Union too. Uh, and uh, without, without the you know, indirect assistance uh, through European Union countries, with all the regional funds uh, from Brussels uh, going uh, to East Germany, uh, the recovery would not have been that fast. Uh, thank you. Uh, just one small comment. I think in all these depressing scenarios, we underestimate uh, Ukrainian people because 
One example is there are more than a million displaced people from Donbass region that didn't knock on EU door, didn't ask for money, and actually reintegrated inside Ukraine. So I, I think this factor should be always uh, kept in mind. Uh, next question. Well, may, I, may I react to this? Yes. Excuse me. Well, if you talk to uh, people from Poland, then they would not agree with you. And I would say uh, just one moment, because uh, just commenting on GDR question, I would say that one of the sources of success of this reunification and uh, re-establishing of the economy was the will of East Germans to join the West Germany and to enjoy higher standards. And it was the political will of East German government, and there is no political will in Donbass at all. And uh, not, not many, I would say, not, not, not the majority of the people there, even uh, under such uh, striking conditions, uh, are hoping and dreaming in joining back Ukraine now, at least. Thank you, Anders. Uh, Anders Ostlund, uh, uh, the Atlantic Council. A uh, question to Martin Seidek. How many people actually remain in the, the area? Do you have a, a mm -hmm. clear sense of it? There were four and a half million before, 1.7 million are officially displaced in uh, Ukraine, at least 100,000 have left to third countries, and the Good. Russians used two numbers, half a million, one million, nothing in between, uh, but a large number have left uh, to Russia. My sense is that two, two and a half million is what remains, but I'm not aware of any official OSCE number do you have any sense of how many who can remain? Thank you. The, the answer is very simple. Um, I think we, we also operate with the figure uh, 2.5. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but there are no, no clear figures. Uh, and uh, I think uh, what, what could probably get uh, a, a clearer picture uh, uh, through uh, electric companies how many households are still the customers? Uh, and then, uh, then you get the better idea uh, of uh, who really lives there. And uh, although one doesn't know how many people didn't live in these flats. Uh, one thing is for sure that there are now also people moving back. Uh, IDPs who uh, were in the government controlled uh, area moved back because of uh, high cost of living. Um, you know, they have to pay the rents. Uh, they don't always find uh, a well-paid job, uh, or even if they find a job. So people are moving back. People are moving back also because, you know, we have uh, clashes, uh, but we don't have real hostilities. And uh, the success, if I may say so, the success story, if there is one, uh, of uh, our work uh, in Minsk has been actually the reduction of uh, you know, the, the casualties, uh, both civilian and military. And this uh, indirectly produces this type of, I would not say confidence, but the people say, well, OK, under these circumstances, we can go back. Uh, the chance that my house, my uh, flat gets shelled uh, is uh, reduced. Uh, and uh, so people uh, do move back, but also there, uh, we just don't have any figures. So it's fluid. Um, question on this side, please. 
Uh, thank you. My name is Andrei Sitov. I'm uh, with us, the Russian news agency here in Washington, D.C. Uh, my question is to Mr. Petrik. Uh, to follow up on what was just discussed about the necessity for the international community to uh, give a lot of money for future reconstruction of Ukraine, uh, it's, it's already been done. The IMF has approved a program of $17 billion, which is a lot of money. Uh, but the program is struggling, as we all know. It took more than a year uh, to complete the second review. The third review that was supposed to happen this year is not happening. And uh, I would actually appreciate if you could tell me when you expect this to be completed. And, and in general, uh, the program is starting, uh, is, is uh, struggling. Uh, the, the question is very simple. How do you see the uh, prospects for completing the program in full uh, for, for Ukraine? And uh, a, a side question to that. I understand this is money. Money goes to Kiev. Money is fungible. Uh, but uh, does the population in the east, in the Donbass, uh, do they see any benefit uh, from a program like this, from this quote-unquote help uh, from the international community? Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you very much for the question. I think that uh, my colleagues uh, the next panel uh, could be answer more detail for your question because Donbass is, we now discuss more Donbass, but I answer you about that. First of all, the um, uh, program, of course, we have some uh, delay with some measure implementation. It's not easy, but uh, First, you ask about the uh, 70 billion. Is the total amount of the, our program? But now we, uh, Ukraine, uh, uh, get uh, not full amount and uh, almost 10 billion. It's uh, uh, not realized yet, and this is future uh, review. It will become. Second is uh, uh, all international community and IMF. Uh, um, agree that Ukraine uh, had some uh, good uh, progress in some areas, like the first, we uh, adjusted the tariffs for market level. Uh, we have uh, Ukrainian government uh, made a very significant fiscal adjustment, and uh, uh, now we uh, prepare the first uh, some uh, program in the educational health reform, pension reform. Uh, very important also is the banking system because uh, during the two and a half uh, years, during the program, uh, very big progress in the cleaning of the banking system. Uh, Central Bank introduced the flexible exchange rate is uh, starting to move to the inflation targeting, could be low the adjusted the external shock because Ukraine is the export more depend from the raw materials prices in the international market. This is all achievement. Of course, I agree that Ukraine need to accelerate this reform. And now the central banking government work uh, for this and we expected that after introduction, uh, after the approval of the budget for next year and some other measure, the program will be successfully continue. But, of course, is the uh, 
Prog IMF program, it's uh, absolutely necessary, uh, not uh, enough for uh, renovation because it's the other uh, objective of the program. It's mostly macroeconomic stabilization and starting of growth the economy. But we speak here about the special help for reconstruction of this region. It's uh, some project like the World Bank and uh, European Investment Bank realize in the territory which now in Donbass but under the Ukrainian control. And uh, for example, uh, I could be um, provide you very interesting document which uh, prepared the uh, United Nations. Um, World Bank and European Union, Ukraine recovery and peace building assessment. Here it's very uh, good doc uh, is it, this is very good document which first describes uh, some project which realized and some perspective in the short period and in uh, long term period and of course we need to think how the funding this uh, project for but in fact, the IMF loan that uh, Ukraine is currently uh, processing uh, resulted in pretty good macroeconomic uh, yeah, indicators. I Ukraine told. is showing very good macroeconomic, macroeconomic stabilization. Excellent, yeah. We uh, dec inflation declined during the two years from 60 percent to now 10 percent. We have the budget deficit 3 percent only compared with the. Uh, current account only almost balanced. A lot of the mm -hmm. achievement. Of course, problem. Yes. I agree that we have problem, but we need to move. Right. Uh, unfortunately, organizers are telling us that we have to let you go and have your coffee. So I would like to thank the panelists and the audience for uh, active participation. Thank you.